This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Righteousness means God is always right. God is always right. God is never wrong. Never, ever, 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 ever is God wrong. God is always right. I look at Jeremiah 9, 24. The word of God says he will bless his people in righteousness or in rightness, meaning when he comes again to judge, it's all going to be right. Psalm 5, great prayer here. Psalm 5, verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Man, pray that a lot. Psalm 5 or 8, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, meaning I want to go the right path. I want to walk the right way. That's a great prayer. And so we see the righteousness of Christ in John chapter 11. So I'm going to read verses 1 to 3, John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from, from Bethany, the village of Mary and, and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That's a chapter ahead in John chapter 12. So the sister sent word through a messenger to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, most of you know about Mary and Martha and Lazarus from Luke chapter 10. Two sisters and their brother who lived in the village of Bethany and Jesus and his disciples would go to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and they would kind of kick back. And Martha would always make a lot of food. Man, they'd put the feedback on. They could just sit down, relax, laugh a little bit, reminisce, and so on. And so it was just, a, it was just a, way, a way to get away for Jesus and his disciples. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus were like family to Jesus. They were very close to him. So Lazarus, who was like family to Jesus, gets very sick. And Jesus and his disciples, when he hears about this, are two traveling days away from Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live. And so he gets the news from the messenger that Lazarus is very, very dear, dear man to him. And Jesus tells this to the messenger in verse 4 of John 11. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the glory. It's for God's glory, meaning his father's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Notice he said this illness will not end in death. Jesus didn't say Lazarus wouldn't die. Didn't say that. He said it won't end in death, see? He said this whole deal is for my Father's glory and for my glory. Now look at the key verse. This is the key verse, verse 5. Jesus loved Mary and Martha, or loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick... He stayed where he was two more days. He deliberately let Lazarus die. And the Bible says he loved Lazarus. 
See, when he brought Lazarus back to life, it would be the most dramatic, far-reaching miracle he ever did next to his own resurrection. I mean, there would be hundreds of people would stand around that tomb, this tomb cut out of a rock formation, and they would hear Jesus calling, he'd just hear Jesus calling that empty tomb, remove the stone, see? Or remove the stone, he would say, and then he would call, call in that empty tomb, he would say, Lazarus, come out. This is John eleven forty one. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the, of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now put yourself in this position. You're standing there. He just called into that empty tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And you're standing there waiting, looking at your watch. Well, you don't have a watch, but you know, you're counting the seconds, okay? And then the Bible says in verse 44, the dead man came out. Just picture this happening. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take the grave clothes off and let him go. And that was glory for God, man. So many people said, he's the one. He's everything he says he is. Look at verse um, 11 of John 11. Go back to verse 11. After, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our, our friend Lazarus, he tell, told his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. See, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep, and so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, this is the important one, verse 15. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so you may believe in him. So he had another purpose in letting Lazarus die, that you guys may believe in him. These are the guys who would take the gospel to the world, and they had to be convinced he is who he is, everything he said he is. And so Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there, so you may believe so that when you guys go north, south, east, or west, wherever you are preaching in my name, and they're ready to take your life for preaching in my name, what's, what's about to happen to Lazarus is just going to pop up right in your mind, see? Look what Thomas said, verse 16 of, of, of John 11. And then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let's go away, that, that we may, let's go with him, that we may die with him. You know how Thomas died? He died in India. This is from Fox's Book of Martyrs. Natives speared him to death. They just kept chopping those spears into him and chopping those spears into him until he looked like ground chuck. And while they were putting holes in Thomas, I kind of think that Thomas was, was, was remembering those words when Jesus called into that tomb, Lazarus, come out. And maybe as life is waning, you know, from he's picturing in his mind's eye, this guy coming out wrapped in grave-like mummy clothes. And that carried him through death. All kind of good stuff. Good stuff happened because Jesus let Lazarus die. Now, folks, right there, that's the righteousness or the rightness of Jesus Christ. He loved those folks, yet he let him die. And that was right. That's the righteousness of God. We don't understand the righteousness of God. Mary and Martha didn't understand this. They're looking down the road. Lazarus' life is slipping away. Martha, do you see him? Is he down there? Do you, do you, can, Mary, can you see him? Is he coming? I mean, Jesus healed people. He had the power. I mean, even if he, even if he didn't go to Lazarus, he could have told that messenger, you know, kind of waved his hand and said, she's better or he's better. Go tell Mary and Martha he's better. It's all taken care of. They didn't understand this. He loved them, 
Yet he deliberately waited two days for him to die. And Martha says in verse 21, she said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Mary says in verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So they didn't understand this. Let's apply this whole deal about the righteousness or the rightness of our Lord Jesus Christ. This book is the word of God. God is righteous. He's always right. And this book is God's word. We need to believe this, that this book is always right. This book is never, ever, 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 ever wrong. It is always, always right. And when you walk in the truth of God's word, you are always going to be right. If you go home with nothing else today, just remember, this book is always right. And when you walk in its truth, you are always, always going to be right. Let me just illustrate this. In Genesis 1.1, the word of God says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he did it in six 24-hour days, arising and a setting of the sun. And there's nothing unclear about that. And Adam was the very first man created on day six, the sixth 24-hour day. And so, according to the word of God, there couldn't have been billions of years before Adam. From Adam to Christ is 4,000 years. From Christ to the present is 2,000 years. And so you do the math and the earth is 6,000 years old. That's in the Bible. Or maybe God isn't right. Or maybe this book is wrong, see? See, evangelical churches are compromising with so-called science, and evolution is not science. And they're saying, well maybe, God, well, well, maybe God did use evolution to create the earth. Maybe it's his method. Maybe he worked through the process of evolution. And maybe the earth is 5 billion years old. Well, that's compromise. I look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must, that divine must, whereby we must be saved. It's the only way. And, and Simon Peter's addressing those words to the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. There's no other name, no other way to eternal life. So deal with yourself. Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days? I mean, did, did you honestly believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and all other religions are lost? It's either, it, folks, it's either, it's either right or wrong. And God is a righteous guy. I, you know, I want to bring this down home. We've got to bring this down home. I've got to look at um, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person if someone strikes you on the right cheek and you know the rest. Turn to him the other also. So it's turn the other cheek. And we can apply that in a lot of ways. You don't strike back. You turn the other cheek. You let them hit you again. And you can talk yourself out of that in a lot of ways. But folks, it's either the right thing to do or it's not the right thing to do. I look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says this, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Grace. 
out of the most severe trial and their extreme poverty, overflowing joy welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They pleaded urgently with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Severe trial, extreme poverty, and the joy overflowed in them to, so they could give way beyond their ability. I mean, extreme poverty, trial. And they're coming to Paul and they're saying, Paul, we, we, did, we just want to give. We just want to give with overflowing joy. And maybe you say, well, that can't be right. I don't know what the future holds. I mean, I got to have this stashed away, man, because, because I'm not sure about the future. Well, what, 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 what was Matthew 6.34 say? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness or his rightness or his right path. And then you got that promise and all these things will be added unto you. And maybe you say that's wrong. Maybe that's not right. Maybe God's not righteous. This is Luke 17. In Luke 17, verse 3, Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you, and he says, I repent, forgive him again. And the apostle said to the Lord, what I would say, increase our faith. That's what I would. That is such a, that is such a human Human reaction, man. You, I mean, these people are taking you to the limit, and Jesus says, you just keep forgiving them. And Jesus says, and then they say, increase our faith. It's right. And those are only a few illustrations from the whole Bible. Here's the principle we're dealing with. And folk, we, we, we got to live this, folks. We commit ourselves to the direction of God's word because it is God's word and because it is always right. God is righteous. And when you obey God's word, you will be blessed. You have Bible promises that tell you that very thing. I just look at the first Psalm, Psalm 1, verse 1. It said, blessed is the man, blessed is the man, verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, meaning the word of God. And on that law, he meditates day and night. It means you delight in obeying God. It means the word is inside of you. You meditate on it day and night. It's in your blood. You're living by God's truth. You're always thinking, what does God say? And folks, you got to hear me on this. This will bless you. This will bless you. So many times I could never count them. I knew it was right, and I didn't want to do it. You know it's right, but you don't want to do it. You know it's right. That's what the Word of God says. And you're struggling with this because you don't want to do it. And see, you rationalize it. Oh, I've done this all the time. And you try to make wrong right. You know, you make all these excuses in your mind to make this wrong thing right. It's just not working. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit isn't going to let you make the wrong right. There's always going to be something in you that says, this is not right. When you finally say, this is right, this book is right, and do it, then you have a tremendous, this has happened over and over with me, you got a tremendous sense of release, and you say, why didn't I make that decision a while ago? You know this book is always right. You know you're doing God's will. And no matter what kind of pain or inconvenience you have to go through, you finally decided, God, no matter what I have to face, I'm going to do it. It's your will, and it's right. And there's a release of tension, 
You finally decided to do it God's way. You know you're doing the right thing. Your conscience stops convicting you. There is finally peace with God, and that is worth everything. And there is also, when you decide to do the right thing, man, there is empowerment from God the Holy Spirit. Man, I can't tell you how I pray you guys pick this up. I mean, you can either play the game, do it your way, don't listen to the Spirit of God convicting you and telling you this is wrong, and you're going to pay dearly, or you're going to decide to do it God's way, and I'll tell you, you are going to be blessed every time. So what are you dealing with right now within yourself? You're playing this game. You're, you're rationalizing it. What are you dealing with? Right now, commit. Right now, commit. You're saying, I'm not going to play this game anymore. Right now, make a decision. I am going to do God's will because he's always right. He's never wrong. And when I do God's will, I can never go wrong. And that's the righteousness of God. And Mary and Martha just didn't understand this. But we know, we know that, that, that what Jesus did was right. And folks, we hang on to that. I mean, you look at the story in John 11. It's there to give us wisdom. You know, understand these two sisters didn't understand why someone they loved, Jesus, who loved them so deeply and had the power to heal Lazarus, let him die. And you got to understand the Lord had a much higher purpose that they didn't know to let him go through this difficulty. God will bless obedience. Here's another passage that, 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 that tells us that. Philippians 2.8. It says, Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became, what's the next word? Obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And so in verse 9, the Bible says, therefore... Because he was obedient to the mission his father gave him, even death on a cross. Then you got the therefore, therefore God the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, earth, under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Because he was obedient. Because he was, it always brings God's blessing, see. What would it take for you to say, thank you, Father, you just blessed me. Would it have to be something material? Would it have to be a job maybe, or a better job, or health, or an end of tension, or somebody being healed? See, it would have seemed so right to Mary and Martha if Jesus had gotten that message, raced to Bethany, and there's Lazarus laying on this bed, and, and there's his face is tomato red, and he just takes his face in his hand and looks at him, and says, Lazarus, get well. And all of a sudden, the face becomes natural, and the sweat stops, and Lazarus sits up in the bed, and he says, Hi, guys. How you doing? What just happened? See, that would be right. That would be a blessing. See, that would be right. Jesus said, John eleven four, This whole sickness is for the glory of God. And you got to get this. This is your memory work for today. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Now, I didn't write that. 
And that's hard because I want God to think like me. I want my ways to be his ways. So what would it take for you to say, Father, thank you for blessing me? Would it take something material? Or would it be a blessing to see God developing trust in you, taking you to your limit so you have nobody else to trust? Would you say, thank you, God, that is a blessing? Would you count it a blessing if your life has been cruising along pretty good without any trouble? And you're just kind of taking God for granted because life is cruising really good right now. And then the Father shakes up your life a little and you start getting up early to pray. And you start looking into the Word for direction. And for the first time in a long time, you start reconnecting with some truly Christian people that you can talk to and let them talk into your life and say, hey, what do I do in this thing right now? Give me some direction. You know the Word of God, see? And you're reconnecting with God. Would that be right for you? Would that be a good fit? Would you say, God, this is right, this is a blessing, see? Listen, God is a great refiner. And I got to look at Zechariah 13.9. God says in Zechariah 13.9, I will bring this people into the fire, declares the Lord, see? I will refine them like silver and test them like gold, and they will call on my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, these are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. See, boy, that's a great passage. But I got to take these guys through some fire, the Father says, to remind them, to refine them, to purge them until they call on my name. And that's not that one passage, man. That's a theme that goes through the whole Bible. I'm looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. It says, in this, meaning in your trials, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while... You may, have, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Now get this, verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though tested by fire, may be proved genuine. God's proving your faith genuine, see, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God is going to take you through the fire. Would it be a blessing? Would you think it God to be right if God, if God um, took you through some kind of fire to refine you and purify you and remove some stuff from you that needed to be removed? Would you say that's a blessing? You're in the fire, and God's got to work some stuff out of you like pride and self-love. And it's all about me. I mean, that's all got to go. How about greed? You're always working. I mean, whatever it is, I mean, you got to go through that fire. You got to go through that refining process. It's done in love. And you come out of that refining process refined. Now, is that a good thing? Is God a righteous God? That is the righteousness of God. See, there's going to come a point when God turns up the fire. And you'll say to God, Father, you got my attention. You got my attention. What's this all about? See, what's this all about? See, God has a higher purpose for your difficulty, folks. That's, that's just Isaiah 55. He's got a higher purpose than you and I will never know about until, until we go through the fire. As you go, see, here's, here's God's higher purpose a lot of times. We're almost done. As you go through the fire... 
people will see how faithful your God is. And that could very well be God's purpose because God's going to bring so many other people into your fire and they're going to see how faithful God is to take you through that whole thing. I really don't like to talk about this because I hate to call attention to myself, but I remember the day the doctor called with the results of a biopsy I had. And um, that bi- it had been three weeks since I had the biopsy, so I figured no news is good news. And um, everything's cool. And I didn't realize I was supposed to call them. So finally, the doctor called me and he said, this is a grade nine it's very aggressive on a scale of 2 to 10, and we got to start moving on this thing. And so I could picture myself right then and there. I could picture myself sitting at, I, I, I put it down on the kitchen counter, and I remember praying right there as soon as I hung the phone up. God, through this whole deal, wherever it takes me, give me every opportunity to glorify you. And I'm not patting myself on the back, but I did ask God as this thing develops, to give me a cheerful attitude, a positive attitude, and to offer people hope and to be able to point them to a God who does impossible things because God has a higher purpose for these trials. Listen, God is righteous. He is always right. He allows or brings things into your life to change you, to refine you, and to affect a lot of other people and you don't even see that higher purpose, see? See, as he works through you, they see his grace working through you and in you, and he's glorified. And the word of God, folks, says that it is all about his glory. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.